0: Oh, if you've got your um, Bible in front of you, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 7, I'll read it if you'd like to follow it along. Psalm 7, I wondered when uh, on Sunday evening it was announced that we were going to read from the Psalms, I wondered if he was going to go into Psalm 7, he went into Psalm 8, so we've not got the same thing twice in one week. Psalm 7 then. So it's entitled, um, Prayer and Praise for Deliverance from Enemies. A Meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush a Benjamite. And another uh, translation, instead of a meditation of David, calls it a shigeon. And uh, for those of you that are musical, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll mention that later. Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me lest they tear me like a lion rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver O Lord my God if I have done this if there is, is iniquity in my hands if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause let the enemy pursue me and overtake me Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honour in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. And according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defence is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Well, I shall endeavour to uh, to explain a little bit um, about uh, about what's going on in this psalm. Uh, the only thing that began up on the screen is just the headings. It's just to help you follow along with the progress through the headings. There's nothing else um, more interesting going up there so last time just a really quick tiny quick recap then phil took us through psalm 6 psalm 6 was a psalm about chastening if you remember and phil brought out that being chastened by the lord does not necessarily follow sin he also highlighted that we might be chastened either by the reading of god's word or through his providences introduction to psalm 7 it's likely but not guaranteed that this psalm was also written at the time of Absalom's rebellion against his father, David. You will remember from when we looked at earlier psalms, uh, a couple of the first three, um, that they were written at the same time as Absalom was seeking to take his father's throne by force. So at this point in time, David is clearly on the receiving end of some fairly bitter hatred Uh, We're told that Cush, if you looked at the title to the psalm, that's why it's important to look at the titles as well as the words. um, We're told that, uh, sorry, just to remind everyone, I think I did this in the first psalm. The reason for that is because actually in the original translation, that was probably verse 1. It's not a a heading that's then been inserted in that bit, a meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. So we're told that Cush, who was a Benjamite, had made some statements. As far as I can tell, we don't know exactly what he said. And we actually don't know anything, really, about this man, Cush. We do know, because it tells us that he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and we know that the tribe of Benjamin did not like David very much, and that several of their people had actually wished harm on David. And you may recall that King Saul himself was a Benjamite. So, what about the content of this psalm? Well, it's clear, isn't it, I think, as you go through, um, much like a couple of the other psalms that we've already looked at, that this um, is written by a man in distress, yeah? Um, This psalm would therefore come under the heading of the Lament Psalms. Again, if you remember way back, we looked in the first one. That might be getting on for almost a year now. um, But we looked at how the psalms could be separated into different categories and there's quite a lot of psalms of lament in the first, um, first part of the book. Now, I say that David was clearly a man in distress i think that is clear to see he clearly is in distress at what's going on but important to point out that he's not cast down though distressed yes but not cast down notice then that this um, was sang by david Um, as i say um, other uh, um, other uh, translations of that uh, introduction part of the psalm call it a um a shigeon have you ever heard of that do you know now I believe that that is a passionate, emotional song born out of extreme emotion. So it could be extreme high emotion or extreme low emotion. Uh, I think it was Matthew Henry who made a sort of quip almost that um, clearly David was uh, distressed but not cast down if he could sing in tune um, because it was sung. Um, So now we're going to come to the actual psalm itself then and we're going to look at it under uh, four headings. And just before I do that, If I could encourage you, as we go through these verses, imagine a kind of courtroom scene. I think we've probably all seen TV programmes where there's a courtroom scene, there's a judge, there's a defence, and then there's a prosecution. Imagine a courtroom scene where there is a judge and the defence lawyer is stood up in front of that judge making the case for the defence. Okay. So, our first point then. David's appeal and his conscience – This is in verses 1 to 5. David's appeal and his conscience. Now, we've already seen in previous psalms, if you recall, that David didn't just know of Israel's covenant-keeping God. David knew him. He knew him as Lord. He didn't just know of him. He knew him personally. David positively and boldly calls out in the first verse calls out to God as my Lord, my Lord. Now, this is a strong position, isn't it? From which to cry out for help, right? Imagine having to cry out for help to a God, small g, who you could have no confidence in at all and no relationship. David knows who he's calling out to. He is his Lord. He knows him. And he's, he's uh, calling out then to God from a position of confidence. As I said in the introduction, David must have been quite concerned, I think, because it takes no longer than one line into this psalm before he gets straight to the point, which is, save me. David was scared enough to use the imagery of a lion tearing something apart. This is something he would have actually seen quite a lot of. We tend to think of lions now, well, I think I do anyway, being in a zoo, fairly contained in these days, David would have been used to seeing that, maybe even daily, very regularly, roaming lions. And he would have been well familiar with the danger that they, uh, and the havoc that they could cause. <coughs> so in his experience as a shepherd, he knew what this was about. And he uses this imagery of the lion tearing something apart. The point, that David, uh, the point is, is that David was concerned. And he sought help from the one place that he knew it was possible to get that help. Now, if we just pause for a minute and think about a little application point um, straight away now. I don't want to unduly compare our world situation today to whatever Cush was saying about David and what David was going through um, and the havoc that he was causing. But we too, just like David, we too as Christians who stand out as different or seek to stand out as different in the world, we will find ourselves with enemies. That is to say, those who don't like what we stand for uh, and want to either tear us down or ridicule us. We will suffer then in the same way that David did. So this example from David reminds us that when we are under persecution, our first thoughts should be to pray and to storm the mercy seat, just like David. Matthew Henry says, and I quote, Let the injuries we receive from men instead of provoking our passions kindle and excite our devotions that's lovely isn't it if we could think like that so verses three to five verses three to five are quite interesting because at first they sound quite astonishing i think when when i read verses three to five they sound quite astonishing because david is kind of inviting a curse upon himself now some of you may recall that job actually did exactly this in chapter 31, when he invited divine sanctions if he was found to be lying about his innocence. The important word, though, that helps us understand this, because it sounds like he's inviting a curse, but the important word in this section, found in verses 3 and 4, is the word if. David knows that he is innocent of these particular allegations, or slander, And he knows that God is all knowing. So the way he's inviting a curse upon himself is actually an emphatic way of saying, My conscience is clear. I can ask you and say this because actually I know it's not true. So I know that I'm not actually cursing myself. David is saying, My conscience is clear. Come and help. Note, David is not suggesting that he is sinless. Okay, you you could be tempted or one could be tempted to read that as um, there is uh, no iniquity uh, in my hands. That's not what David's saying here. David is only referring to the this in verse three, which he then goes on to say is a not treating someone who was being peaceful to him with evil. So not repaying good with evil. And the second thing he goes on to say is not plundered an enemy. Without cause, So that's clearly the sort of thing that Cush must have been pushing out there, that David had done this. And it's that that David is saying he's innocent of, not sin in its entirety. So David shows confidence in God's perfect knowledge here. As would be later written in Hebrews 4 verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him god to whom we must give account that's the confidence that david's showing here he knows that god sees everything he knows his heart he knows his conscience is clear and he can call out to him so that's david's appeal and his clear conscience if you like secondly hope in god's anger this is verses 6 to 11 hope in god's anger david finds hope in the doctrine of god's perfection requiring justice david's speaking back to god what he knows about his character he's saying to god i know that you require perfection and i know then that you will be just um uh, sorry i know that you will be just um, because you are perfect god David knows that he can appeal to God's righteous anger against injustice. And he has faith that that will lead to deliverance. Does that make sense? So David knows that he can appeal to a righteous God who doesn't like sin, won't look down on it. And he has faith that that will lead to his deliverance. Did you notice in verse 11, if you look down at verse 11, it affirms that God is a just judge. Not like us, weak humans uh, who can fluctuate in our emotions or even our moral compass or even our allegiance god is a just judge who can do no wrong did you notice as we were going through in these verses 6 to 11 that david uses language like arise lift yourself up and awake in another version now, it's just important to point out that that's not David saying that he thinks that God is distant or sleeping or unobservant, but he wants to use bold metaphors for God's seeming absence. This is, hence I say, about the Shigeon uh, being a song that comes out of extreme emotion. David is using bold metaphors for the seeming, in his, at this moment, absence in God's presence to actually call on him to act. The picture painted in verse 7 of a crowd surrounding God is actually what we hear in Acts 17 from Paul when he says he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So David was confident that there would be a final day of judgment but he was actually calling on God to show some of that righteous judgment now in his difficult situation where it was being, he's being, he was being unjustly treated. I don't know if, uh, if, if I paused on it long enough when I was reading it or if you clocked it, but if you look at um, uh, verse nine, verse nine shows David's leadership heart. He is clearly in a horrible situation and yet in the midst of his own anguish, of his own horrible situation, he prays for all believers. He prays that the just would be established, or another translation, that stability would be given to the righteous. Isn't that lovely? That he was actually, even in this moment, praying for other people as well as himself. Now again, if we just pause here and think about this for ourselves, this is a good point for us to take away as we come to prayer later. Of course we pray for ourselves here, yeah? Of course we pray for each other and for the very real issues that we may be suffering or enduring as individuals and as a fellowship. But we are part of a worldwide family of God. And we should pray for them too. And that's a good pattern that even David has given us in, in this psalm here. Just to finish off this, uh, this section about God being a, uh, a just um, God and hoping then in God's righteous anger, can I leave you with a quote from Dale Ralph Davis? I think we must read similar books though. <laughs> Dale Ralph Davis, a quote from him on verse 11 about God being angry every day, because that's what it says. Quote, there are loads of people who will say that is not or cannot be true, that God is angry every day. But if you say that God is not like that, you take away any hope his wronged and suffering people have. Shall I say that again. There are loads of people who will say that is that is not or cannot be true, that God is angry every day. But if you say that God is not like that, you take away any hope that his wronged and suffering people have. So hoping in God's anger, point two. Point three, just judgment. This is verses 12 to 16. Verses 12 to 16. Just judgment. We're presented with a picture of a warrior or a soldier, one who either carries a sword or a bow and arrow or both. This psalm tells us that if the enemy of the righteous does not cease and desist, then Yahweh will ready the judgment. He will ready the sword. He will ready the bow and arrow and wield that judgment. Again, if I just pause here for a minute and think about that for ourselves, how merciful God is, though, that whilst he holds these weapons, i.e. judgment, that's the picture of judgment, the weapons, Whilst he holds them ready, he gives warnings of that danger, doesn't he, to everyone? And he gives time from those warnings to repent. God is slow to punish and is long suffering. And it was a reminder to me about how grateful that we should be then for this fact, even in our own lives, that God is slow to punish and long suffering. How merciful God is. If we go on to verse 15. David talks about the evil person digging a pit for their enemy to fall into. But then accidentally falling into it themselves. So he's likening his current experience and wish to that imagery. He's saying that he wants God to turn things back on those that have been making these malicious lies. Like a boomerang. Send it back on them, Lord. Send it back on them. Deal with them think of joseph's language, language in earlier times they intended it for evil but you O oh lord intended it for good that's the sort of thinking that david's got going on in his head or think of more recently we've been going through the book of um, esther think of um, haman in the book of esther who died on the gallows that had been built for mordecai that's what david's saying lord they're planning this evil they're doing this evil send it back on them God is just, so God is offended, he is upset, and he is angry when he sees his creation sinning. This is why David asks him to act, because he knows that he will. Give thanks, it's due. Finally, we come to this lovely verse 17, where David remembers that his God that is, our God, deserves to be praised, that is, thanked, no matter what. I don't believe, and and, uh, others have agreed, I don't believe this is David saying, if you do this for me, God, if you do this, I will praise you. No, I think this is David saying, all the way you have led me, all the way. And my obligation then is to praise you and thank you every day. David is so sure of God's control over the world, of God's justness, of God's rightness, of God's perfect nature, that he knows he can and must praise him. Let's pause again for one second and think about how that relates to us. What does this mean for us? I think it reminds us that we deserve nothing from God. Yet he mercifully provides in a multitude of ways and he should be praised then no matter what our circumstances. And that will be hard. They may be joyous and positive. They may be hard and tricky. But I think this in verse 17 is David reminding us that God is worthy of and deserves our praise no matter what uh, we're being taken through. Uh, the the same at this point when I was just thinking about this the same quote came back to my mind that I think I've probably used several times um, as we've gone through these studies and I'm afraid I can't remember where it comes from might be Spurgeon can't remember Um, when we cannot trace God's hand we must trust his heart when we cannot trace God's hand we must trust his heart and surely that's exactly what David was doing right now He doesn't understand why he's in this situation, but he's so confident in God's character and in God's justness and his rightness that he knows he can call out to him from a position of distress, praise him and ask him to act. So give thanks. It's due. So uh, just a few conclusion points and then we come to prayer. Uh, Four conclusion points. So we then, as followers of Christ, as we thought about a minute ago, we are not exempt from suffering name calling or worse just as our saviour did we're following the same path there will be resistance what will our response be? our response should be like David's here know our God know our God and use that knowledge in our prayers so call on his character call on his promises quote them back to him that's exactly what David's doing here we will not be exempt, same as David wasn't, the same as Christ wasn't, but we have a God who we can turn to and be confident in. Second point of conclusion. Yes, David prayed for himself, but in the midst of these troubles, he didn't become so insular that he forgot to pray for fellow believers. Surely that's a great example of selflessness and love for our fellow heir of heaven. third point of conclusion we must always always thank god and praise him let's not be tempted to judge god's faithfulness to us based on our situation or our circumstances or our emotions we must always be ready to praise almighty god for he is worthy finally then can i read a few verses from romans 8 to just try and wrap all of this together romans 8 few verses from verse 33 who shall bring a charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is he who condemns it is christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us who shall separate us from the love of christ There's a few verses gap. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May he grant us confidence to trust in him in the way that David did and to call out to him in the way that David did with so much confidence and belief and that it would be our first port of call and not our second